everybody, and welcome to Save Your Sorry, the podcast where we discuss the rise and fall of your favorite, or rather, least favorite celebrities. I'm your host, Katrina Rochelle, here with my best friend and fellow co-host, Jose Angel. And today is a Jose episode. So first, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you doing? Well as well. Hey. Mm-hmm. So uh, you want to talk about what we're talking about? <laughs> yes. Today we will have a uh, Literary Scandals Part 3. Oh my God. I'm like, what the fuck did she just try to say? What was that? (laughs) I feel slowly but surely I am inserting us into the literary world Mm -hmm. with our book reviews and now our scandals in the literary world. If only we were on TikTok, we could be a part of Book Talk. Book Talk. Is there a book pod? We book pods? Yeah, I just don't know how to get on. I don't know about that community. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. So this time where I was looking into literary scandals, I don't know what happened, but the floodgates just opened. I was like, damn, where'd all these come from? I had four, but I, limit, I shortened it down to two, two, because I think this is already going to be a long episode. Oh, Lord, just with the two, I can't wait to hear <laughs> scandals. So first up, we're talking about Nicholas Sparks. I don't know if we were still in the Nicholas Sparks era, but there was a time when old Nick seemed to be everywhere. Mm. People were reading the books, and I think the film adaptations are what really brought a bigger audience to him. Yep, and then people went back to the books. Yes. And do you want to guess what his first fictional book was that came out in 1996? What? The Notebook. Oh, it was that one. Okay. I didn't want to jump for the stars so early. (laughs) I was like blown away learning that. 1996? Yeah. And it's like, you know, people love the notebook. People rave about the notebook. It took a minute to get made. Yeah. Did you ever watch the movie or read the book? I love something about little little white folks in love. (laughs) Just warms my little heart. (laughs) <laughs> then why the father love me some titanic love me some notebook i i i can't help it so yes i do love the notebook i've never read it though but i i've watched the movie several times okay i read the book i didn't get the hype with the book i don't know if it's the same with the movie mm. i have read one of his other books the guardian and that one was okay not great but kept me entertained and i like that one better than the notebook okay but, you know, he has some pretty big ones. The Notebook, The Walk to Remember, Dear John. And it could be the fact that if that's his first book, maybe he hadn't settled into his writing style or whatever. So that's why you probably like a further, like, down the line book then. Oh, maybe. What would you call his genre to be? A very romantic with a little dash of drama and or history. Well... Nicholas Sparks says his books are not romance novels, and he has this to say on the website. He says, though both have romantic elements, the subgenres have different requirements. He classifies his as love stories, so love stories must use universal characters and settings. Romance novels are not bound by this requirement, and characters can be rich, famous, or people who lived centuries ago, and the settings can be exotic. Love stories can differ in theme. Romance novels have a general theme, the taming of a man. 
And finally, romance novels usually have happy endings, while love stories are not bound by this requirement. Love stories usually end tragically or, at best, on a bittersweet note. All right, bro. That was just a <laughs> long-ass way to tell me you write romantic love stories. I mean, that's, it really ain't changed the motherfucker's mind at all. That's what I was thinking. Like, imagine if we were like, this is not a podcast. This is an audio experience. Yes. Yeah, you, know? you know, it's one of those, like, uh, artists is like, you, you feel what you do You do is very important, and people are undervaluing your shit, and you got to set these motherfuckers straight, because your shit ain't like the other people's shit. It's special shit. Yes. But it's all right, bro. You're in the romantic category. <laughs> so I think it's kind of pretentious, but, you know, I'm not a best-selling writer, so maybe he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he was flexing his shit. He was like, I ain't just your regular writer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not him being pretentious that brings him to our red table talk. Oh, no. But accusations of racism came out during a lawsuit against Saul Benjamin. I know I don't see a lot of blacks. <laughs> they don't never have no black people in the movies. I recognize the movies I like. It's, it's a tragedy. Uh-huh. All my people in the back working. <laughs> Ain't that a bitch? I'm like, oh, they're falling in love. Wonder what, what I'd be doing. <laughs> so the lawsuit was for breach of contract, disability discrimination, and defamation by Nicholas Sparks. Lucky for us, this lawsuit has already been decided, and we will see if we agree with the outcome of the lawsuit. Okay, okay. So before we get into this lawsuit, we need our setting. And the setting is Epiphany School of Global Studies. And it's a school founded by Nicholas and his wife, Catherine Sparks, in 2006. I believe it's a Christian school. This is not really related, but how do you feel when rich people open a school? And I'm not talking about, you know, a school for disadvantaged youth or... That's what I was just about to say. It's like the rich school for other rich kids. Yeah. Yeah. It, it runs me the wrong way. Like Very, very much. There's some something weird there. I, I definitely leans more into the cult vibes because... You're creating programs or a place or whatever for a certain amount of people, for a certain type of people. And usually it's not like accredited and you're free to teach and say whatever you want. And nobody really knows what's happening behind closed doors because it's just, I don't know, a lot of shady shit going on. I don't never trust stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. But we're not rich. So maybe... (laughs) That's why. <laughs> We're just poor. We're just poor and uh, dumb. We went to public school. So in 2013, Epiphany has a new headmaster named Saul Benjamin. He was a 64-year-old man. He worked in Bill Clinton's Department of Education and served as a professor at Bennett College. And Saul was the headmaster for less than five months from February to November. And that could be because he wanted to make the school more diverse. This is what Saul was alleging for his reason for firing. So one thing that Saul realized was the school only had two black students while the county it was in was made up of 40% black people. So Saul's thinking to himself, we're all the black people. You know, why is there only two here? Mm -hmm. Saul was also the person to hire the first full-time black teacher at this school. So before that, they did not have a full-time teacher that was black. They were all white. And 
when Nicholas Sparks was questioned about the Latter Black students, Nicholas allegedly said they are too poor and can't do the academic work. Lord. A member of the board, Tracy Lawrence, I believe. No, Tracy Lawrence Zinn allegedly said she drives 35 miles away to shop at the Walmart in Havenlock, North Carolina, stating only Black people work at the New Bern Walmart, and it was dirty. Well, the Havenlock location was better because they had white people staff the store. Oh, Lord. Benjamin went to an uh, NAACP event to meet African-American parents to make them feel welcome to enroll into the school. And Nicholas Sparks said he should utilize less public and visible means if he sought to meet African-Americans. Damn. <laughs> I don't want you meeting them Negroes in public. God damn. You just <laughs> keep getting worse and worse, Nicholas. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So in October 2013, students became meeting informally to talk about their sexual orientation. And this, like, kind of. <laughs> the, the staff was meeting with the students? No, the students were meeting oh. with each other. They were you trying gay? to. I'm a little gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this was met by bullying by two students, which happened to be the sons of. Epiphany school administrators and another bully being the son of an influential parent. And these students were saying they wanted to create a homo cost. Oh, Lord. Damn. So, like, a, what your school cultivates? God damn. He's a religious school. I tell y'all, they made of little devils. They be saying Christian, but it's demons in them bitches. So Saul Benjamin tried to make an LGBT club at the school, which Nicholas was like, no to the gay club. And two teachers tried coming forward for the club, but they were met with threats of termination if they continued to talk about the club. Uh, uh. October 30th, Benjamin was told he was promoting a homosexual culture and an agenda by board members. I don't know if this was the same meeting, but I know at one meeting they were kind of like asking him about his religion because he was born Jewish, but he is now a Quaker. And I think with Quakers, like they're supposed to keep their religion to themselves. That's like their religious belief. Uh-huh. We heard so about it, some of them Quakers. So it just, it made him uncomfortable. But two students were planning on protesting at Morning Chapel. Benjamin heard about this and good for him. He put a stop to it because the way these two girls were planning on protest was to take off their clothes and announce that they're gay. But Yeah, that's yeah. just not the way to do it, little children. Yeah, but Benjamin convinced them not to, and and instead, David talked about loving thy neighbor and talked about bullying, and this isn't morning chapel. I think it's like a morning church service or something. I don't really know. Yeah, probably. But for some reason, this pissed off the parents, you know? Talking about love thy neighbor and not bullying, it really got them up in arms. Yeah, they like to shoot, stab, and lynch thy neighbor. <laughs> Um, November 16th, Kathy Sparks, wife of Nicholas and a board of trustee member, allegedly visited Benjamin at home to ask if he believed in God. And I'm not too sure how that meeting went. It, that's all it said in the article I read. Mm. So in an email, Nicholas Sparks wrote, he told Benjamin not to rock the boat. He told Benjamin, moving forward, to make sure all Christian traditions felt especially Christian because some parents were getting angry. And to refrain from speaking on tolerance issues because the school was one of the kindest Nicholas Sparks has ever been to. And this is a quote from him in the email, which 
was in the lawsuit. Sparks also says, regarding diversity, I've now told you half a dozen times that our lack of diversity has nothing to do with school or anyone at the school. It's not because of what we as a school has or hasn't done. It has nothing to do with racism or vestiges of Jim Crow. It comes down to one, money, and two, culture. So pretty much saying again that Black people can't afford to go to that school. Yeah, I'm just saying, you're saying uh, the 40% that the Black people make up of the county or town or whatever you're in, none of those people are above the poverty line or or middle, um, middle, I want to say middle age. What the fuck is middle class? (laughs) Right. They're, they're not middle class or, or or up in the upper echelon in their careers, like you're just assuming. Like, no, it is racism and culture. What do you mean culture? Because they have black culture, or because they have culture, or because you're creating a hostile racist culture that other people cannot be a part of. I feel like that goes back to his earlier comment of they don't do well in academics. I think it's just racism. It's- yeah, it's all veiled because, uh-huh. especially because he's speaking via email. But everybody knows what's going on, especially with all these other, like they're stopping any and all progressive attempts by him to do anything positive in the school. Yeah, if this is what he's saying in emails, it's very easy for me to believe what he's saying just to him in person. Mm-hmm. So Nicholas Sparks would write another email in the morning saying, "Again, a gay club was not allowed writing." Remember, we've had gay students before, many of them. The former headmaster handled it quietly and wonderfully. I expect you to do the same. So it does seem from what Benjamin is alleging that he was told to keep quiet about the lack of diversity, be it race or sexual orientation, to keep it all hush-hush. Yep, and don't do anything about it. And three days after the emails, Benjamin was called into a meeting to discuss everything with Nicholas Sparks and the Board of Trustees. And he claims he was not allowed to leave the room to use the restroom or contact a lawyer. Uh, Nicholas Sparks was calling him a liar and a bastard and acting in a loud, ranting, and physically intimidating manner, blocking the door. And the meeting was insisting that Benjamin resign. Benjamin would resign accepting a $150,000 payment, which Benjamin claims he never received. And he left a handwritten resignation letter followed by a former email. He would later claim he wrote the letter under duress, and it was dictated by Ken Gray, a lawyer and trustee of the school. And he stated, it was the most frightening moment of my life. I was weeping, broken, humiliated. I'm ashamed I allowed that to happen. Uh, damn, I I hope this, I hope he got what he was supposed to, because definitely it sounds like all this was under duress. I, yeah, mean, I mean, this man was trying to make the school better was doing everything he could to foster a safe environment, add diversity to the school. And all of a sudden he decides he wants to quit and he doesn't even get his, his promised payout. Like, God damn. Yeah. I'm suing y'all. And it seems like once it seems like after they had the, the exchange of emails, they had that talk with him in person because they felt that he wasn't going to bow, that he wasn't going to submit to, their demands and they figured intimidation and uh, a resignation would just do the trick. Let's get them on out of here. Then let's scare them and get them on out of here. Get somebody in here who will do our bidding. Yeah. So I've seen it reported as he was, his wife ended up coming to that 
final meeting and I also seen it in an email. But I guess one way or another, um, Saul Benjamin's wife was either there or in an email and Nicholas Sparks allegedly told her that he was being terminated for mental illness saying that Saul Benjamin had Alzheimer's and was possibly bipolar and he would Saul Benjamin would also claim that Nicholas Sparks told this to other people as well which was not true and it was making him, it was very difficult for him to find a job fucking up his career and this is somebody who came from the Clinton administration they they shouldn't have to a fucking have to go by some trashy ass of uh, love story writers credibility why do, why do, why does he get to sit there and uh, shape Saul Benjamin's credibility now this man done worked at far better places than this trashy ass shitty ass school yeah, but you know he's up there in age. Don't recall his last reference that he was not there oh, that long. Yeah, that's and as, true. As soon as he's like, he has Alzheimer's. They'd be like, oh, yeah. Well, you're right. They played the right cards against his ass. That's fucked up. I forgot he's a little older now. Yeah. So with the lawsuit, we got breach of contract, discrimination of disability. While Benjamin did not have Alzheimer's, he could still sue if that's why he was terminated. Mm-hmm. And defamation was because Sparks told a job recruiter, trustees, and Benjamin's own wife that he had mental issues, possibly Alzheimer's, which was not true. Yeah, tell my wife. you. I... And Sparks' defense about the Alzheimer's comment was Benjamin was forgetful and had an obsession with non-relevant issues. Nicholas, you, you can write stories, but bitch, you can't tell them. This doesn't make no sense. You ain't no doctor. And so you false diagnosed him because, well... He was forgetting stuff. Yeah, this is well. Shut the fuck up. You have an obsession with white people dying in love. <laughs> you know what I imagine Nicholas Sparks were saying? What? He's like, in my best selling book, The Notebook, my character's <laughs> had Alzheimer's, so I know how to diagnose. <laughs> oh my gosh, I forgot about that. He said I had to research up and down the DSM to figure out what all those symptoms were. And I wrote them in my book. So of course I know. If I wasn't so busy writing, I could probably cure Alzheimer's. I mean, Jesus, if, if I had the time, I'd be a doctor. (laughs) Um, Nicholas Sparks would also claim that Benjamin lied about some of his previous work history and the school was not doing as good financially as Benjamin suggested. Again, Saul Benjamin was there only 98 days. So if the school's not doing as good financially, I don't Mm -hmm. think Saul Benjamin's to blame. Exactly. And also, what what was the first reason again? He said he, he lied about some of his what? His work history. It didn't say what work history was lied about, so I can't confirm. And, and that was never mentioned in any of them emails or meetings. It seemed like you were just fine with his work history. Yeah, the emails that I read were about diversity with blocks and day people, setting up a club, and religion. He was so worried about having a pure white school. That motherfucker could have wrote McDonald's on his resume. He would have took him up if he just would have done what he said. I agree. So the verdict comes back in. Oh my gosh, hold on. Oh, let me cross my fingers. Okay, and it is in Nicholas Sparks' favor. I fucking hate this world. It's the worst. Take me. I, 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 
bitch. Do you know why the jury sided with Nicholas Sparks? Because it was not a jury of Mr. Benjamin's peers. <laughs> I don't know what made it to the jury. But it's because Saul Benjamin did, in fact, resign first. So there could not be a breach of contract. Which, if it's true, he couldn't leave. That's I, what I'm saying. I don't understand how this wasn't underdressed. Like, why, why didn't it count? <laughs> like, you... He wrote an email to his wife saying, your husband resigned because X, Y, and Z. We proved that X, Y, and Z is not true. And also the person who was uh, being slandered is also saying the only reason why they did resign is because they were forced to. The man had no access to any phone, no outside sources, resources. So, I mean... They could have all written the letter for his ass, and he just had to sign it. Yeah. Of course he resigned first. The The, the story doesn't... Oh, Lord Jesus fucking Christ. It, it made me mad. <laughs> Dumbass people. This scandal, it's really not even about what he was suing for, because at the end of the day, Nicholas Sparks still doesn't think that Black people can afford his school. And yeah, he's still a racist. This is a prominent lawyer, I mean, not lawyer, prominent writer in Hollywood, in literature, who is literally racist and classist and homophobic, it seems, as well. He came down harder on an LGBT club than he did on the students that were calling for a homo cost. Yeah. And the thing is, is that even with or without the LGBT club, with or without the diversity, this is the breeding grounds like for those types of people saying those types of things and doing worse. So it's like he was trying to bring Benjamin, Saul Benjamin was trying to bring relief to these students who are getting bullied, getting pushed aside, who are not being shown any attention and who are only in the school because their parents are wealthy. And everybody else who is, I guess, who would seem quote unquote normal, who is not different, they get to rule the school and have any and all says because I guess they're just white and straight and everything that Nicholas needs and wants his students to be, which is not black and gay. <laughs> I just, I, it's, it's crazy how uh, uh, we always talk about how it, well, granted, this was, like I said, this was a, a celebrity just thinking with his ego in his pockets. But we always talk about how administrators don't be doing enough for students. And you get these administrators who go above and beyond and do their best, and they just get shitted on. And that's why every year there's fewer and fewer educators who truly care. And educators who remain educators. Yes, that is true. That is true. So, Nicholas Sparks does have a statement, so let's read some of it. Come on, ready for the bullshit. He starts it off with... As someone who has spent the better part of my life as a writer who understands the power of words, the amount of eye roll when I read that opening line, like, we did it, you're a writer. I don't think it was in this statement, but another one where he said something like he was happy to put this lawsuit behind him so he could get back to writing full time. And it's like, dude, you don't have to mention it all the time. It's his whole personality. He's a writer. He's a successful writer. (sighs) So that's all he knows to say and be, despite not being that for a while. 
So he apologizes if any of the words hurt anyone and talks about love thy neighbor and that he believes everyone should have. Ain't this a bitch? Everyone should be able to love, marry, and have children with the person they want. He says that while he said there will never be an LGBT club at Epiphany, in one of the emails released, it was during a heated exchange and Benjamin didn't go through the proper procedures and policies to set up a club. But that's not what you said in that email. No. So which one is it, Mr. Sparks? Spark so. up another lie. <laughs> Come on, spark them up. Keep sparking up these fucking lies. And then you go steal, you go steal my man Benjamin's whole whole flow bar for bar. <laughs> talking about love thy neighbor. If you don't kiss somebody's, you don't kiss mine and Benjamin's ass. You know, it's just a load of bullshit. In my opinion, Nicholas Sparks is a racist and a homophobic man, but He's protected by his success, his white privilege, and more importantly, above all else, his money. <laughs> yes. Because now, like, opening a store, I feel like that takes a lot of money. Oh, yeah. It takes a lot of money. It takes, like, investors. It, t- it takes, like, government officials. Like, you got to have a lot of people on your side to do stuff like that. And to bend to your will and money will do it and so would a nice powerful name like nicholas sparks Mm-mm. You know that's not even his real name, name. <laughs> you fucking fraud you don't even you don't even go by your real name you fucking writer <laughs> you, everything about you is imaginary and fake you're not even your real self hooting your fucking <sighs> apologies fucking always hiding behind a persona he gives me very american psycho oh yes yes I don't know why I thought about that. <laughs> just did. It just popped up. <laughs> He's a racist and a killer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a joke. Just for people who don't know. Throw all the allegations in there. Just <laughs> I saw what he did to that homeless person and no <laughs> sex workers. Oh my goodness. Moving on before we get sued. I know, I know. That's a crazy ass movie though. And it was a good book by Brett Oh, Easton I forgot. Alley. That's your book. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the book. Brett Easton Alley. So next up is writer Sarah Groom. Does that name sound familiar to you? Did you say Groom? Broom? Doom? I think it's Groom. It's G-R-U-E-N. Yeah, I'm a car, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do not. This name does not sound familiar to me. And this one is not much of a scandal, but it's just... It's just sad in a lot of different ways. Ooh, ooh. So Sarah has a total of five books, but it was her one book that came out in 2006 that had its moment. And it was also turned into a film starring Reese Witherspoon and Robert Pattinson. And that uh, is... Water for Elephants? Oh, good for you. Water for Elephants. You know me, I like to get things right. I don't know a lot. <laughs> But when I do know something, I want to say it. I never watched that film. I just remember its moment in time. Okay. I watched half the movie and said to myself, I want to read the book first. So I I went out. I bought the book like the next day. And then I never watched or read the book. (laughs) (laughs) I was ready to get this profound review. (laughs) And No. Well, did you even like... 
Well, how did you like the first half of the film? I liked it. That's why I got the book. And, you know, I love Reese Witherspoon, so I always wanted to watch it. And then you, you said, well, I'm just not going to do none of this, despite just spending <laughs> my money. Oh, I do that so many with books. That's why you have a library. Uh-huh. The book is about a former veterinary student joining a traveling circus and falling in love with the ringmaster's wife. It's ah. That does sound a little bit more interesting. I might have to check that thing out. <laughs> and Sarah's book has sold over 10 million copies. She was getting fan mail. And one was from a man named Charles Murdoch, also known as Prisoner C76287. Ooh, not his second government name. <laughs> a man in prison for first-degree murder. Ooh, we got to cut off them letters immediately. <laughs> So he is serving a life sentence with no parole. Also, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I don't think prisoners should be able to write letters to random people. Hundred percent. I mean, I thought y'all said y'all be y'all be y'all be monitoring their mail and shit. If I see that the prisoner's writing to some woman he don't know, and it's maybe getting a little weird, and this man has just killed some people, I think we would suspend that letter. I think <laughs> them, they wouldn't go out. But it does go out, and it is Charles writing saying how much he loved the book, and he said his grandma, his grandmother Lottie was a performer in the circus, wondered if Sarah based her character on Lottie. And it's a beautiful letter. He decorated it beautifully with two flowers, a heart, a spiky fish, and signed it bad fish. Sarah was like, didn't nobody know your funky ass grandma didn't write that shit about you and broke his heart, and he started going crazy. No. Oh, okay. Sarah did research a woman named Lottie. Oh. Oh, no. Now she reaches back. And Mr. Charles Murdoch, or Bad Fish, if you want to call him Bad Fish, was not asking for anything, just expressing his love for the book. In this Vulture article that I got most of my info for this part, it talks about some other interactions she had with other readers of the book. And it said one wrote about how easy it would be to attend an event and shoot her. Uh, another on Facebook got so obsessed that she had to block him and he killed himself a year later on the day she blocked him. Well, see, I, we, uh, Sarah, we got to get some security. Another woman in her neighborhood knocked on Sarah's door one day asking for help since her dog fell down a hole. The two would become friends, but two months later, the woman would reveal she knew who Sarah was the whole time, and this freaked Sarah out, thinking the woman put her dog in the hole to get a reason to talk to Sarah. Oh my god, you gotta move, Sarah! God damn, how good was this book? People <laughs> are crazy, and I know, I'm sorry, we're supposed to stop saying that word. I try sometimes, but they are crazy. Oh my gosh, because you gotta think about it. You. And some people are crazy and they ain't crazy. I'm sorry. But these people are crazy. Because I, I, I know I said I was going to stop saying it. But I said like. Oh, and you said it so many more times. But I'm just like. You're essentially a regular person. But you've, you've had this hit. This book. You, you finally got the one hit out of all the books. And all the manuscripts. Whatever. And you're thinking. Okay. At least people ain't going to know me. Unless I'm on my my book tour or I'm doing a special thing, whatever. But people are putting themselves in situations and knocking on your door. First of all, sorry, Sarah. This is where being black comes in hand. A (laughs) random person, neighbor or not, knocking on my door 
asking assistants to help their dog out of a hole, I, I already know. I'm calling the police. First of all, me help your dog out of a hole. Ain't nobody helping my cat get out trees. I ain't about to help my <laughs> dog out in a hole. Two, do you know who I am? I don't talk to my neighbors. Why are you on my doorstep? Number three, I am not the proper authorities or, or resources for the dog in the hole situation. You're a stalker. I need a police report and a restraining order. I'm sorry, Sarah. Oh my gosh, she's got stalkers on stalkers. She seems like a very helpful person, and that might be her downfall, and that's where this story is going. Yeah, maybe with her success, she's still a little too naive. Yes. She believes in the good of humans too much. So a bunch of weird interactions that we just talked about, and Sarah must have thought, oh, a murder in prison can't be that bad. Oh, God, Sarah. So to briefly go over the case... On May 17, 1983, Chris's horseshoe bar was robbed by three men, and one person was fatally shot, another person was stabbed. In 1994, so that is 11 years later, mm-hmm. forensics got better and they are able to get fingerprints identifying a man named Dino DiNardo. Dino named Charles as an accomplice, but during trial, he said that the detective coerced him into confessing that. Dino got 25 years, but Judge Charles Sheldon said he might be willing to reduce the sentence if he testified against Murdoch. Mm. Which, if he's saying he was coerced, I don't think he should be able to keep speaking on Charles Murdoch. Well, yeah, the minute that you've told the court that you are coerced in giving up somebody else, why would the, I mean, talk about like pulling for straws and them kind of really doing some shady business there. Why are y'all then going to allow him to lessen his time to get this man on the hook. He's basically confirming that he'll do anything if the police uh, make him. Yeah. So. Or he'll say anything. Dino gets it less than 12 years and he only served five. Damn. And Charles gets life, no parole. Damn. And Charles Murdoch says, while he did do robberies, sometimes being called the Baskin Robbins bandit. Okay. He only robbed ice cream shops with an unloaded .38 caliber and was not involved with the robbery that resulted in a death. And there is even a letter that a judge said he saw between Dino and his attorney that states he did not even know Charles Murdoch, just his older stepbrother. But that wasn't allowed in trial because it was determined (laughs) to be client-attorney privilege. This is crazy that they tried to... I don't... Man, he I don't know if the if everybody's in on it and Charles lawyer was really bad or what because how is Dino the one who literally gets fingered from the scene 11 years later? He's the only one with DNA at the scene present that gets found 11 years later and it's Charles who ultimately does the biggest bid when he's not there's no sight or sound of him except for the guy whose dna was found on the scene yes it's very bizarre yeah it seems like somebody had more more bizarre yeah somebody in law enforcement the judicial system somebody in them them courts wanted murdoch locked the fuck up that's honestly what it seems like to me which he you know he was the baskin robbins bandit so he obviously did have a track record And he pled guilty to every other arrest that ever happened besides 
this one. He pled not guilty. He still maintains his innocence. But they fucked. He kind of fucked up by doing that. It kind of put him right in their in in their trap. Yeah. Like so you're I, you're gonna admit to doing all these robberies except for the deadly one, of course. But now we got you on the hook for all these robberies. So now it looks like a pattern. So why wouldn't he? start going from ice cream shops to something a little bit more heavier. It's like one of those things where they'll just, they'll just make up the, the the facts of the case, but it's crazy that the DNA person got five years, essentially. Yeah. that That's what's really bizarre about it, that he's the one who got off light. But yeah. back to Sarah, she starts doodling him and the case, and she believes that he is innocent. So nah, she writes, still don't get involved. <laughs> she writes back with a note saying, May justice finally prevail and signs copies of her books. Oh, she encouraged you. Never encourage them. And she has this to say about that. She says, justice is not going to fucking prevail. Finally on its own. And that was a really asinine thing to write a guy who's doing life. So Sarah and her husband believe since Sarah's a public bidder, if she throws her support behind him, it will move things along, even though he has lost an appeal case and the Supreme Court denied his petition to review the case. Girl. So she decides... I'm sorry. I just can't believe she really got involved this deep. It gets deeper. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So Sarah decides to get a lawyer to get info about the 1983 murder. And a year prior in prison, another prisoner was stabbed in the common room. And Charles claims that he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. But they got him with three shanks that were found nearby. And now he has new charges. You got all that? Yeah. I mean, you was there this time. (laughs) You was at the scene of this crime. He was at the scene, but he says it was a common area. The shanks weren't on him, but on just nearby. And I guess he got the finger pointed. So the estimate was $78,000, which is so fucking outrageous. If someone is wrongfully convicted, how would they get that money? You know, to get this procedure back, the ball back rolling. Uh-huh. But Sarah agrees to it thinking that he could possibly be free Easter 2016. <sighs> so more evidence that comes up is the stabbing victim who testified against Charles, the one in the 1983 the one who was stabbed. Oh. He, he says that he was so drunk, he doesn't even re- remember being attacked. Damn. The bartender from that robbery couldn't identify Charles after the attack when shown a photo. But 12 years later, when the trial happened, they were able to identify them. Oh, Lord. And Sarah's focusing so much on freeing Charles. She's not working on her book and she's missing deadlines. She reaches out to Dr. Phil, hoping to get more traction, but a producer asks if she's in love with Charles. Thank you. Come on. Even the messy producer had what was on my mind, on your mind, on my mind, on your mind. She says she is not. She's married. She just wants to help because he belie- she believes he's innocent and he's a human being. Girl, come on. Create a foundation. <laughs> I don't know, girl. This seems deep. I think the Dr. Phil thing didn't happen because they wanted it to be like a a lover angle. Yeah, once they saw that she wasn't going for that, and she probably saw where they were going, it was just like, yeah, let's probably, it's maybe not the way to go. Plus, it, made, it probably would have made her look very, very bad on TV. Yes. So her first lawyer, she fires because the case is not moving, and she's already passed the $78,000 estimate. But she does hire a new team, and she has now spent around 250000 
you spending all this money. You want this case moving. You missing deadlines to pay this. Yes. <laughs> this don't make no sense, Sarah. I'm telling you, she was sneaking in that sale. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared about how this is going to end because I have like at least three endings in my mind right now. And I don't think none of them are good. <laughs> So now it's really affecting her to the point where she feels she is having a nervous breakdown. The Vulture article talks about other things she did where she spent a lot of money trying to help friends and family. And it does seem like she's doing it out of kindness. Mm. And at this time, she says she is poor. Her and her husband, Bob, have gave half a million on this case. Also, I'm sorry. Bob, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) You ain't said nothing. You just along for the ride. You didn't think. He Bob does have a quote coming up. Oh, Lord, I'm scared. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop. He had this to say. The more money you spend, you just hate to give up. You're, you're always thinking you're close. And then you think, wow, we spent half a million here. And that's crazy. Sarah would say, I'm now officially poor. We're not out on the street or anything, but no more vacations. And I'm going to start clipping coupons and stuff. On the other hand, I will have saved a man's life. Girl, first of all, you haven't saved his life yet, number one. <laughs> number two, she's like me. <laughs> you mean, she's, she said, we're not poor, but we're poor. If you can't take vacations and you clipping coupons, you could train a Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> but you have, you've descended. That is not good. I... And it's like, you saved a man's life, but at what cost? Because it seems like you were also like, impatient for results and maybe with time and patience and you actually taking time and asserting boundaries between this case and your in the rest of your personal life and then your professional life maybe if you would have asserted those boundaries better you would not be out of all this money you would be more focused and you wouldn't be stressed out of your fucking mind yeah with the money to take a vacation (laughs) (laughs) She can't. She can't take the vacation. That's what I'm saying. When you felt that stress coming on, you could have went to the Barbados, but now you you go to Tornadoes. I don't know. Fuck a restaurant down the street. There's like a saying where it's like, you know, charity starts at home. And I I feel like Sarah needed that that saying in her life that she needed, you know, take care of Sarah first. Yeah. And then help people. Like, I know she got all this new money since the book and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She got consumed. Yeah, it's she went down this rabbit hole and she just kept going. And I get the thing of where we spent twenty eight thousand and we spent twenty, you know, twenty eight more thousand, and now like it's almost there. It's almost there. And then once you're half a million, it's like, damn, how much more are you going to get? Yeah, and I I don't want to like full on blame her, but it is. I just don't understand how once you passed, once you are approaching that budget. You didn't say anything, go to your accountant, go to the lawyers. And even when you passed it and whether they said it was almost there or almost done or just a few more, whatever, you still did not take the time to really evaluate the fact that even if it is, you're still coming out of way too much money for this to be the case and that something needs to be, uh, maybe we need to put the brakes on this and reevaluate all that I'm putting into it who's doing what, how much people are being paid, who is on the team exactly. I don't know. But definitely they should have been a little bit more quicker in um, realizing the money issues. Yeah, and she seemed way too involved. 
way too involved. That's why I think that there's something deeper going on. I don't, I don't believe that this is just a random case of you connecting with this random man being a married woman, a married successful writer who I, I just don't, I don't know. It, it could happen, but I, the way that she got involved in so deep into this case and his freedom, I don't think it's as simple as she's saying. I think there's something being not shared. So Sarah comes up with a plan to get the money back. Or not back, but to raise money, I should say. I was about to say, this OnlyFans wasn't, wasn't out yet. <laughs> what are we talking about? How are you getting it back? You know what was out, though? Hatchimals. Okay, I'm glad I didn't say what I was going to say. <laughs> it's going to be inappropriate. All right. You, they are like stuffed animal things that come out of an egg and hatch, and people love them. They're pretty cool. Oh, uh, it was the new school Tamagotchis. Y- yeah, I think people were calling them the new Cabbage Patch Kids. Damn. Almost there. Almost there. <laughs> so they sell for around 60 but resale was about 151 on eBay. And Sarah spends twenty three thousand five hundred ninety five thirty and thirty one cents on one hundred fifty six Hatchimals. <sighs> I don't want to say anything too disparaging, because you be, you say one of these bad endings, but she's stupid. Wait, I know, I know. You got to spend money to make money. You've already spent all your money, and then when you told everybody. That you spent all your money, no more vacations, you're done. You somehow found an unspent 20000 and said, ah, 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 let me use this, probably the last of our savings, to get us out of this hole. And I know, let's get some Hatchimals, some Hatchadamadils, some <laughs> Danimals, whatever the fuck. What, Sarah, Bob? Bob, you got to check on Sarah. <laughs> Something's wrong. So she tries to resell them from prices 189 to 219 I think it varies just so she could see how much she could charge. Oh, Lord. Only problem is eBay limited it to only three at a time. She spent $20,000. <laughs> and this was an issue because Sarah wanted to sell these before Christmas because this is the hype right now. This is the, you know, the toy of the year. She needs to get these out. She needs to be able to sell them. And she's thinking, I just fucked up. But she comes up with an idea. She's going to make a Shopify account. She's going to make a post on Facebook talking about the Charles Murdoch case and how she's selling these Hatchimals to raise money. And it did not go over well. Well, yeah. Well, I want let's figure out why. But also, you lying, bitch. This is for your personal account. Why are you talking about Charles? I, I think it it did go to Charles. I'm pretty sure. Oh my god! And you were still sending him money, you broke. So we got some comments here saying it's awful. A person like her buys all these and then gets stuck with them while trying to make extra money off the parents. It's sad that a lot of kids would be very upset this Christmas because of greedy people like you. Another wrote, you're selling for $189 each. If anything less, you should be ashamed of yourself. Now all these sites are picking up on the story, and headlines are not too generous. Titles like best-selling authors trying to make money off Hatchimals scheme, or Hatchimals are hoarded by best-selling author. People are either not reading the article or they just don't care. Their kids want Hatchimals. 
That man is a prisoner. Who's <laughs> our Hatchimals, bitch? <laughs> so, obviously, the next step is Sarah starts getting death threats and rape threats, and people are making huge orders on other things and canceling their order. I'll tell you, these so-called do-gooders are evil. <laughs> They're just as bad. You talking about Sarah, but you can you imagine like another you uh, with a, a picture of a middle-aged white woman with the Megan face, the Megan meme on the computer, just getting a big ass order of Hatchimals and then just canceling it and just being so pleased with herself and she's smirking. <laughs> like that's evil behavior. You're just as bad, if not worse, than Sarah. <laughs> What do you mean? I I get it. Sarah's dumb, but I get it. She was foolish enough to think, ah, I could have. Okay. It's like she was trying to use her public, public image, but she didn't realize she should have just begged and not done the whole Hatchimals thing. Yeah. She should have just beg like before every, Christmas. Exactly. You should have begged like everybody else. My name is Sarah Blablank. I put a half a million into this Charles Myrick is trying to free this man and a bitch went broke and I need your help. I only got this amount to my name and I still want to help this guy, but I also need to support me and my husband. If you can give anything that you can, it would be very much appreciated. A portion will go to Charles and still help his case as well as helping me and my husband stay afloat, blah, blah, blah. But no, you circumvented the system, tried to kind of, um, yeah, kind of scam people. And then when that didn't work out, you wanted to scam people using your reputation and your name. And people saw it for what it was, but also they took it too far, as people do on the internet always. I wondered, like, how broke is she? So I looked up her net worth. She can't and, be that yeah, broke. That's not always accurate. It said on Google, so the first thing that pops up, I didn't really investigate. Um it said she was worth thirteen million. So, damn. If if she is worth that much, like you know, a half a million is not that much. But, but you know, that could be tied up because I knew she had two kids in college and one in high school at that time, and she owned a home. And Bob is like twenty years older than her, so he wasn't working. Oh my gosh! So back to the death comments. Someone writes: All the people purged can attend my new group. Fuck Sarah Droon. Bitch should get raped for being a cunt. Lord. Which is definitely unhinged. Sarah would sell all the Hatchimals, making a profit of $6,000 that she used for legal fees. Girl, all that for $6,000 in profit? 20-something thousand for $6,000 in profit? Like I said, she should have just begged. That was yeah, nothing. She, you and she, she sullied her reputation for some fucking toys. Oh, yeah. it's not worth it. I'm so, Sarah ain't got no friends. Well, I see why all her friends are fucking weird ass stalkers who love her work. Never mind, I get it now. She don't trust nobody. But somebody needed to like school Sarah on like how to really deal with her money. But yeah, either she's lying. And this didn't put a dent in her net worth or the internet is really wrong about her net worth. And she just really was bad with her money. Cause that, yeah, there's a discrepancy somewhere. So she then receives a message on Twitter from a former cellmate of Todd 
Elkhorn. Todd was the man stabbed possibly by Charles Murdoch in the prison by a shank. So not the original stabbing victim, the second stabbing victim. In yes. So the person claims Todd has more info and asked for her mailing address. Looking up Todd, she found out he was in prison for conspiring to kill a woman with four other men. They held the other woman captive, beat her and stabbed her. So Sarah is freaked out. She ups the security camera. She gets a BB gun that looks like a real gun. But then weird packages start being dropped off at her house. One with one was a wig, another a Trump shirt. And I I don't understand the packages, but no, she it starts here. We start how much is Sarah's paranoia and how much is actually happening happening. Oh no. So she moved to a condo she had bought her father. She sees two bald-headed men are staring at staring at her when she walks her dog. So she doesn't know if she's being paranoid or if they're trying to scare her. Is this related to the packages? Is this related to Todd? She doesn't know. She gets freaked the fuck out. But June 2016, she is approached by the company behind Keeping Up With The Kardashians to make a show about Charles. And then gets a better offer from Envelop Entertainment. While she wants to press and help, didn't know if she wants to be put out there more. But they offer to cover legal fees if our network picks it up. So she agrees but tries to step back a little, letting Bob handle the mailing and and working on the case so she can write. And then Charles in prison gets Sarah Rue tattooed on his wrist. Sarah Rue is a nickname for Sarah. Oh, Lord, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Sarah wrote in a letter, I'm mortified, horrified, embarrassed, cringing. If the media sees it, they'll consider it confirmation of their theory that I'm cuckolding Bob and using all out combined resources to free my prison lover. If they see that tattoo, I can't, I can't, I don't even know. My mental illness numbers just shot off the top of the barometer. So now Bob is like, you know, doing mostly the correspondence between them. I mean, so, y'all, y'all quoting all these times, y'all, it's been, it's crazy to go this far and spend so much money and then just walk away and just stop. I think we've reached the point. I yeah. think we've got to that point. What are I? What does this man have to do? Does he have to go the fear route and carve Sarah Rue into his wrist for you to get the picture that maybe this this has gone too far that you cannot control this situation? Or once again, maybe it's time to lay it out there. She has nothing to lose. Hey, this was about one thing. Uh, I really wanted to free this man. Obviously, with the time and the attention I've spent on his case, he has gotten the wrong impression, and I don't know what to do. I still want to continue on with this case, but obviously, he has feelings that I cannot and do not reciprocate, and I am stuck in the middle just trying to do the right thing that I thought when I received his letter the first time. I don't even know, but the point is, is that Acting like this isn't happening and only talking about this privately is also not going to do her any favors again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's done her part. Like, he should be very thankful. Charles Murdoch should be very thankful of anything that she contributed to help, you know, try to set him free. Mm -hmm. I feel like right now she can walk away and, like, feel okay about it, but I guess not. So, 2017, on Christmas Day, Sarah starts experiencing transient global amnesia, where she lost hours of her memory of the day. 
she would then be sent a letter from Charles that he received. And the sender was listed as Sarah, but she did not send the letter. Hmm. Does that make sense? Charles got a letter from Sarah. It wasn't Sarah. Sarah, Charles sends it to Sarah. Oh, Lord. Yes, I get it. What has happened? So the letter says, dear bad luck, dear bad luck, dear bad luck, Chuck. I was like, what? (laughs) We set your golden goose free. Want to know why? Because water is for elephants, not lame bitches like you. Get comfy. You're going to be there for a while. Hugs and kisses. Dino DiNardo and the man with the keys to B-Yard. XO, XO, XO. Which, now I'm like, what is going on? Because why would Dino DiNardo care about Charles Murdoch? Like, yeah, he pointed the finger. Wait, what? Now I'm yeah. confused. Wait, hold on. Charles gets sent this letter. Yes. From Sarah, but it's not Sarah. Yes, it's, it's like... It's from Dino, but it says it's from Dino. So the postage, I think, says like Sarah. Like, you know, on an envelope, how you have to write it. Okay, what did the letter say again? <laughs> it says, Dear Bad Luck Chuck. Yeah, you set Charles. your golden goose free. Want to know why? Because water is for elephants, not lame bitches like you. Get comfy. You're going to be there for a while. Hugs and kisses. Dino DiNardo and the man with the key to the bee yard. XOXOXO. Dino... You can tell you've been in prison too long. Not for lame bitches like you. Bitch, who are you talking like? Also. How do we know that Dino wrote this to begin with? How do we know oh my that, God, that too, wasn't some crazy person? How do we know it wasn't Charles? Oh, How do yeah. we know it wasn't Sarah? I don't. Jose. <laughs> I'm confused. I don't know what the fuck is going on here anymore. I don't either. Oh, Jesus. This letter part really fucked me up because now, yeah, what, why did Dino care? Why would Dino write this? Hugs and kisses, X and O's, bad luck, Chuck. Charles, why are you sending me a letter that somebody else sent you? Why do you want me to know? Sarah, why are you even accepting this letter? Why have you not turned this man into the police again? I I know Sarah was working with a legal team, and I believe she hired a private detective to look for Dino DiNardo. So that's the only thing that I can like think would bring him back into the circle. But it's not like he could be charged for the crime of murder, because that'd be like double jeopardy, wouldn't it? So it's like, what? what's the point? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Did Charles send this to Sarah as like, ooh, I want to scare you, bitch, and make, your, and make you stress out even more and think that this man's after you because he's after me? I don't even know. Or I want to scare you so you come running to me. Yeah. And then Sarah just have an amnesia out of nowhere, but I know it's probably not out of nowhere. That's confusing as fuck to me, too. Yeah, this is a weird scandal. Since it says, we set your golden goose free, Sarah sees that as past tense, set. And she feels like they're coming after her. So she moves out with her son and dog. Her husband, Bob, stays behind. You had a son? Yes. Sarah. (laughs) Her husband stays behind to deal with animals. I know they have horses and stuff. And they go to her hotel and she turns off her locations and going under a different name. And she moves six times in five months. And she would return home to help with the case. 
And winter of 2018, she starts experiencing more brain fraud, drops down to 95 pounds. She is fainting every day. Her blood pressure is dropping. She spends her day lined in bed in dark rooms, unable to write from headaches. August 2019, Abbott Taylor, the writer of the article from Vulture, visited her and said Sarah could not keep short-term memories, asking the same questions over and over. And Bob was able to get a Zoom meeting in the fall of 2020 with the L.A. County's Conviction Review. The Los Angeles' DA office didn't turn down the case, but I could not find any updates. I know Charles denied a polygraph test, citing how unreliable they are, but other than that, nothing has changed. Also, the whole element of people being after Sarah, I don't know if she's being paranoid or if it's real or what. I don't know. In the article, it says that it could be caused by an underlying condition that she had previously. It says maybe COVID. It says stress. But we don't know. It says that she doesn't really leave the house besides to go on car rides with her husband, Bob, and to the backyard to play Scrabble. And she seems to have completely deteriorated in health. Her last book was published in 2015. And that's kind of where we're leaving off with Sarah and Charles and Bob and Dina and Todd. I think that's all of them. But I do highly suggest reading the Vulture article. It, it included lots of stuff that I left out because it was a really long article. And it like just it paints more of a picture of like everything that's going on. I want to be mean. I don't but I don't want to be mean. Because so, it's sad. It's like it's sad, but it's it, it's like when someone fucks up and you know, like, what the fuck were you thinking? But it's like, what's the point of saying that now? You know? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck to say. I don't want to be a mean person. I want to be an asshole. But I, everybody is so fucking stupid. Sarah's yes. entire family is stupid. I don't understand. I don't know how Sarah and Bob had their whole entire life, had a child, had pets and property and money and a reputation and careers and let it get this far. Let He let his wife get to a point where she is no longer herself anymore to the point where she may not even be who she was before. You let your health and wealth go down for this one man for this one case in which you supposedly had no personal connection with this man except for a letter he wrote to you from jail after he was already convicted for first degree murder i don't understand this i do not get this it is confusing to me even after the tv fake pilot not really anything happening got involved she, there were so many times she could have just took taken a step back and just taking care of herself herself like continue on with this case if you want to whatever but the fact that her her husband nobody was nobody cared about sarah sarah didn't care about sarah nobody did anything for her nobody said this is getting out of hand she was paying for money to move place to place because she was scared and paranoid about all these um things that were supposedly happening to her, but nobody was taking the time to say, okay, okay, move away, drop off the face of this earth, and you don't need to be doing anything anymore. We need to suspend this case. You've put a lot of man hours and time into this. Let's transfer this on to public defenders. You have done what you can. I am sorry, but this is going to a point where it's going to be you or him. And unfortunately, it seems like Charles is doing miles better than Sarah ever was. I don't understand this. 
I am very confused. I am upset and frustrated. I don't, I just, everybody, everybody, oh, I feel, I feel bad for Sarah because it, where she's at right now is just where she's at right now. Like you said, there's no use in the whole, I told you so, or what the fuck were you doing? But it's just like, even if you don't blame Sarah, what the fuck is going on with all these people who were around her and witnessing her breakdown minute by minute, year and month and like over to, I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) This scandal, out of all the scandals you done brought me, I fucking hate this story. Oh, this is so frustrating. And there was, there was no, like no satisfying conclusion, not even satisfying. There was no, there's no conclusion. This email is still ongoing in her pockets and she's still deteriorating. No longer the person that she was when this all started. This is the saddest fucking shit ever. Do you think it's possible that no one was ever after Sarah? First of all, I have been burned before. Okay. With your whole rigmarole of telling me everything that happened and then telling me bitches is liars. it is quite possible but either way i either the thing is whether these things were happening to her or not happening to her what i clearly saw from reading between the lines is that she needed help something was going on within her mind and 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 she could not fix it she could not reconcile it she could not control it and nobody did anything for her. So even if she was imagining this, even if it was really happening her happening to her and she was the only person to witness it, nobody cared about her mental state and she didn't care enough to slow down and try to um rein in her mental state either, which I mean it's hard to do if you're in you're being pulled in all different directions and you think things are happening to you and they're not or you're constantly thinking you're under attack. But it's like it, whether it was or not, she still was crying out for help and nobody helped her. Yeah, that's because that's I have trouble, like, in my mind, thinking, why would Todd, the stabbing victim, target Sarah? Why would Dino target Sarah? So it makes me think, like, yeah, was, was it true? Was any of the bad things like I know the hate comments were true, and she, maybe she did get a letter, but what was it just a troll? Like, what proves this is coming from the actual person? To me, I, I think it's either one or two things, honestly. It's because that whole Sarah Rue tattoo has thrown me off too. I think this is either all orchestrated by Charles, one way or another, or mm. like you said. This maybe didn't happen the way Sarah has envisioned it. I I don't know though to truly say either one of those things, but it's just crazy that nobody benefited from this what decades and ongoing situation except for Charles. <laughs> that is true. I. Charles got top of the line lawyers. He has to if he spent half a million. He's got to have money on his books. He's in constant communication with the person I guess he wants to be constantly communicating with. And it's looking like 
maybe one day he could get out. I don't think so, but I'm just saying that's those are the positives he may have going for him. Whereas Sarah has no positives going for her in this case at all. She's only taken on losses since she did this. That's why it's just so unbelievable that they didn't have any personal connection beyond that. Like I'm also kind of just disappointed. It's like you were doing all this for this man and you wouldn't even well, this is this is towards the end of the article. I just want to read this one little sentence to you. It says, Bob still writes to Murdoch often about Sarah's debilitating headaches, the money he put in Murdoch's commentary, and his continued entries to the conviction review unit. So <laughs> Bob is still sending him money. Bob is you and Murdoch them 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 is that what it was? Is it not even Sarah and Charles? Is it really Bob and Charles? What the I fuck is happening? I do want to give let me find it first. I do want to give the title of this article because I referenced it so much. Yeah, I gotta read. Well, no, fuck that. I ain't reading. I'm sorry. I will read this article. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to shit on the article because it's not the article's fault. No. Um, it was from Vulture, Vulture.com. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just stall. HTTP. <laughs> www. <laughs> okay, so it's by Abbott Kaler, I believe it's how you pronounce her name, and it says, How Sarah Gruen Lost Her Life, The Water for Elephants Author Six-Year Fight to Free an Incarcerated Man Left Her Absolutely Broke and Critically Ill. And it was March 21st, March 24th, 2021. I, I can only hope that Sarah feels better one day, but I don't, I don't know how it, there's, I don't know truly, even if Charles were to get out one day, if even that would seal this as a happy story, a good ending. I sent you some of the letters he sent her, like the envelopes, just to see how he decorated them. Did you get it? Okay. As somebody who has seen how jail letters are prepared and sent and written i felt like we were just talking about this we were in were the we? fucking you know last week oh uh, the worthy episode oh the worthy yes well that still counts as last week yes i'm like we were okay. talking about jail and it's the same thing it's like when they put all this they want you they like you that that's how that's how they express themselves I don't know how she didn't see this and and got. Yeah, this is just a regular old relationship. I I don't want a victim blame, but I I just this is an upsetting story to me. It's upsetting me and my homegirls. <laughs> I'm very I don't like this. And this one almost got cut. I'm so glad I brought it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I am. <laughs> I don't even know. I am just beside myself. <laughs> I am too. And okay. It's it's a complicated story, but I hope one day we get a resolution. Like, I hope one day if he is innocent, he gets freed. Just not even for him, but for Sarah. Honestly, this is the only way it ends. I mean, if they're not going to cut the rope themselves, they're not going to cut the ties themselves. I mean, we might as well hope for his freedom. <laughs> we might as well. But that is my literary scandals that I bring to you today, humbly, humbly.
<sighs> but we do like to end every episode on a positive note with some form of media we want to recommend, discuss, shit on, explore. Would you like to go first or should I go first? I'll go first because it's simple. Okay. A piece of media that I would like to uplift is a piece of media that will never hear or see the light of day. No. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) We take a moment to click. I was like, you said also, did you not know where this was going? I did not. Oh. What is it? A lost album? So, your humble and gracious hosts, uh, Katrina and Jose, came into this place last week and cranked out a beautiful episode. Yes, hot topics. We talked about the Meg single. We talked about Lord Hill. We talked about Kiki Palmer. We talked about Krishan. It was beautiful. But the footage was lost. Lost. Never to be heard again. And it was great. And it pisses me off because we were talking about everything that everybody has literally been talking about for the last two weeks. <laughs> and it's gone, and you'll never hear it. And we were fantastic, and it was hilarious. And I also wanted to talk about some of those things this week, and now I feel like I can't. But uh, uh, I just wanted to tell you guys that sometimes we do not miss weeks. Sometimes shit just happens to us, and you just gotta roll with the punches, even though they've punched you right in the vagina. <laughs> Would you like to say the title of our episode? Oh shit. <laughs> What? Did you did you write in the messages? Because I don't want to see. It was going to be Black Lady Media because you, that's all you, you brought to the table was four stories of Black women. And I'm like, I love it. Black Women Media. Don't y'all love that title? We've missed it. I'll have to do it again sometime because, man, it was a good episode. But um, as far as media... Still listening to Cobra by Meg. It is a great song. I, and I think I'm I'm into the whole pussy is depressed line now. I'm cool on it. It's good. I love it. <laughs> we did have a whole conversation about that We line. had a whole conversation on whether we was feeling the whole this pussy depressed line. But I get it. I understand. Um, also, Party responded with a diss track. But he a bitch. We don't fuck with him. So fuck him. Forever. I saw it, but I have not listened to it. It's trash. It's literally a track just to shit on Meg when Meg mentioned him in 1.5 lines and didn't even say his name. He was triggered. Nobody fuck with you party. Nobody like you or your new bitch. Fuck you forever. You can never touch <laughs> Meg. Uh, I used to like you and Meg, but it's all about Meg. You know I mean? uh-huh. Whoever, all weapons formed against Meg shall never prosper. <laughs> We want the stallion. Talking about this ain't for making a stallion. This for making the person. Person my ass out of here. <laughs> Take your purse out of here. Because you're acting like a bitch. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I The media is us. I love that. <laughs> yes, you know, hey, if no one's going to uplift you, you got to uplift you. <laughs> I debated on if we wanted to, like, redo it but some conversations i just felt like it'd be forced if we were trying to like re-say the things we were saying i thought the same thing because i almost hit you up on tuesday to be like well are you free you want to do a 30 minute breakdown but then i was like 
the good thing about the episode was that we just talked about it spontaneously. Well, besides, you know, I came up with the subjects, but everything else was spontaneous. So it's just like, yeah, you lose some of the magic. Anyways, (laughs) what are you going to do? I guess my media would be the book, The Fourth Wing. Every now and then, I hyperfixate on things, which is really hard for me when I do a podcast, because sometimes I hyperfixate on celebrities, and sometimes I don't. Mm, in what but, way? Like, I'll, that's all I want to know, is I, like I need to digest all the information of a celebrity. I need to like know their music, know the scandal, know this, know that, know this, know their uh-huh. Zodiac sign, and then sometimes I'm like, why do I care? Like, who are they? And then I, like, move on to the next thing. So the fourth wing is about dragons. And every now and then, I hyperfixate about dragons. The only thing is, I, do, I don't like fantasy books a lot. I, it, it just takes a lot of world building. And if I'm not interested in the first five minutes, I'm out. But I told myself, you know, I want to read it because it's been talked about. And it was really good. I, I found it a little cheesy at points. But I did finish it. I'm reading the second one right now. It's mm. interesting. I'm trying to do where I'm not always, you know, I know what I don't like, but sometimes I feel like I know what I don't like. Like, you know, I, I don't let myself enjoy things because I'm like, well, I'm not going to like that. And it's like, well, give it a try. Give it a try. So that's what I did. The fourth kind. I'll rate it three out of five stars. And it's a series, which I also don't like doing. Because I have commitment issues. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to see how it goes. So far, I'm liking book two. Okay. I always wanted to try to get into those types of books. But I, I, sometimes my imagination, unfortunately, is a little stunted. And my in, in my, my mind wanders. So I can't stay engaged sometimes. Yeah. it's The, the whole thing with that with series is just like... But the whole hyperfixating on things, like sometimes I'll be into that type of stuff and then I, then I won't. So it's like hard for me to do it. Yeah. I know I'm trash. You know what I'd be thinking about sometimes? I think about, speaking of hyperfix fixation, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when we were in college and Old Girls TV finally broke down. <laughs> so we were like, oh shit, now we just got to read books. <laughs> and so <laughs> we were in the library for a long ass time, just reading books, reading books. And then eventually I got a new TV. And so we dropped the books. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I remember for, we were in the library all the time. Yeah, man. That was one of the best and worst times. I hated the library, but I loved it. I loved it. Uh, recently I've been hyper fixating on Van Gogh and I don't know why. Barely had very fascinating. Long. Huh? So you better leave your ear alone. <laughs> it's, but anytime, like, then I'm just annoying because I bring it up, like, in every conversation. Like, people say something like, you know, Van Gogh, when he painted the Starry Night, he was in the mental asylum. And it's like, no one cares. No one cares about Van Gogh and yeah. me giving them 100 fun facts a day. So, was he? Yeah, after he cut off his ear. Man, I tell you, maybe people have more scruple, scruples. Because, you know, if, if I would have painted a starry night in a mental hospital, I bet you it wouldn't be my name at the end of that damn canvas. <laughs> well, I would have took that and sold it. Well, you know, people don't want it back then. It wasn't until he died. Well, you're going to make me talk about Van Gogh. What? And all Come on, stuff, give me some facts. All this stuff. 
like one of his self portraits that he didn't have a beard. It's because he painted it for his mother and he wanted her to believe that she was doing better than he was. Oh, and Beard said, you're scruffy, dirty, bummy. And even though the majority of people think he committed suicide, he unalived himself, Mm -hmm. a lot of people believe, well, not a lot, but some people believe that he was shot accidentally and then didn't want to, like, reveal who it was and then died. Because, like, they didn't, because, you know, he walked back to his bedroom and they asked him who he did. And he was like, no, 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 no one did this. No one did it. It was just me. But they never found, like, his easel that he walked out with <laughs> or the gun. And it's like, where was, where was uh, it? Damn. Yeah, so it's very fascinating. I've been getting into his. I, 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 I've just been very interesting, very interested in him. And <laughs> I ordered some stuff of his. And I'm like, I know in a few weeks I'm not going to be interested in this. But for now, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, be happy. Uh, watch, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you in a few weeks. So, anything more about Van Gogh? <laughs> like who? No, exactly. That's how I'm going to be, and I know it. So I try not. That's I know crazy. when I get in those moods, I'm like, let's let's see if this passes for a bit. Let's see, and then most of the time it will. Dang, can you believe if it, you accidentally got shot, but then pe- I'm tell if I if I get shot and I can talk, I'm telling you. Yeah, was that motherfucker before I pass out or die? I'm telling you. Yeah, I see it, my it, mama who accidentally shot me for me not to say nothing. And even still, I'm like, Mom, what the fuck you shot me? <laughs> it's interesting if you look into it. And he, he wrote a lot of letters to his brother, Theo. Him and his brother, Theo, were very close. And then Theo died. I think he had, like, untreated syphilis or something. Man. Um, but his wife, I believe her name was Joe. Um, she was like, she was convinced Van Gogh was like going to be a famous author. So she saved like all the letters, all the paintings. And she's, I think the one who, um, like pretty much established his, his stuff after he died. Uh, and- she killed him. She killed him. <laughs> you know, wife found out about the lover, but he was like, damn, this is my wife. I did her wrong. I can't, I can't rat her out. Shit. I'm going to just die. And well, I said, see- yeah, you're going to die. And I'm going to become rich. I did see one people talking about it that um, Theo, his brother, was like giving Van Gogh to live and stuff. And he told him before the shooting happened that they were not going to be able to provide for him anymore. And they're like, well, maybe that's why Van Gogh did it. Or I don't know. A lot of this is on top of my head. I'm just <laughs> so if I got any Van Gogh information wrong. Dang. But I, I bought the, I'm in the book, the letters. Mm-mm-mm. And I've been looking at all his other paintings. I'm like, some of these are like amazing. Like, why do we just know about the Starry Night? Because there's like so many other cool ones out there. What are his other? Let me know. Because there, I feel. Here's the thing. There, I'm so ignorant towards art, and that's why I. You got sometimes you got to know when to stay in your lane, and when it comes to art, because I know my vocabulary is limited. I be I be trying. To flex some muscles and learn new words. But sometimes I just don't know what the fuck to say. As well as sometimes I don't know what y'all be seeing. I don't even know what I'm seeing. But there's like a few paintings, especially like from middle and high school that you see all the time that I loved. But I don't know about, besides A Starry Night, what all Van Gogh painted. Yeah, you should really look into it. Um I also it's ugly. I'm just <laughs> not. <laughs> uh, 
not recently, but there was a time when I was kind of like obsessed with Diego Rivera, who's Frida Kahlo's husband, mm-hmm. or was Frida Kahlo's husband. And I remember reading about him that he ate human. Like it was, he got it from okay. a, a funeral, but he was talking about how they made sure like there was someone who died from like violence or something. Like they didn't have sickness and they ate it with tortillas and like their heart, their hair felt better and their skin felt better afterwards. Yeah, but I never got the book. Skin? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just what Diego Rivera said, but I never got the book. So I don't know what else he said in there. That's disturbing. Okay, I like I like The Scream by Edward Munch. <laughs> <laughs> That's my painting right there. Ooh. Every time I see that, <laughs> I make the noise for him. <laughs> Can we hear it one more time? <laughs> yeah, I had to look up who did that one. That's my painting right there. And of course, the there's the the painting of where like everybody's like down by a lake or like at a show, and it's like with all the dots, the little dot one shit. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, that's my second favorite one. There's a lot of art that I like. I just don't know shit about it. I get some on TikTok where it's like it's like the first slide would say it's just a painting, and then you scroll over and it's like the second slide's like what the painting is and. I always save those. Some of them are like I've never seen before or heard before. And then you like look into it and it's so cool. Like I am so jealous of people who paint. I remember I went with my friend Amanda to this painting thing. Mm-hmm. And she said that she never painted before. So we would both be beginners. And I looked over at her thing thinking I was doing such a good job for my first time painting. Yeah. Hers looks so good. I was so fucking jealous. I'm like, I'm never fucking painting again. Damn. Because like I, when I don't have talent at something, like I don't want to do it. And I, that's another thing I have to work through. Is like you know, you're not going to be good as soon as you begin. Yeah, and I and I come from unfortunately a family of artists. You know my uh, my grandmother all well no sorry Trisha not you but <laughs> <laughs> the uh, my other three sisters uh, even my brother had a little spell of drawing, but all of them motherfuckers know how to do art and draw and then my one sister who does art and draw she also does tattoos she has a bachelor's and and fine art so i'm 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 just in the shadow i'm just big sister i i still punch these motherfuckers i can't but they smarter than me <laughs> i get so jealous like my mom can draw my grandma can where she could draw um my nephew he's only like fucking seven and i saw some of his drawings and i'm like what i was like asking my brother if he drew that because my brother can draw too and I, I remember growing up, my brother would like, you know, be trying to draw, and I was so jealous. I'd be like, that looks ugly. That's so horrible. <laughs> like, if I can't draw me, mean ass, mean ass. But now I hype him up. I hype him up when I see his drawing. <laughs> and speaking of but, Trisha, her, her gift is she's a writer. And I mm-hmm. bet you, it, it, give her some time and some encouragement from me. Bet you, she going to have series. I love that. She's a great writer, but she, you know, she don't let people write her, read her stuff all the time. Well, if she ever wants to share it, she can right here on the Save Your Sorry podcast. Hey, y'all, open door is always open <laughs> for you. So step on through. But this has been our episode talking about the fine arts of reading, literature, and the art. Um, but thank you guys for listening. Do you have any other media to discuss? 
I am wiped out. <laughs> it's time for yeah. me to replenish my soul and sleep. <laughs> Thank you guys for so much for listening. Sorry we haven't been around that much lately, but we miss all of you. Every single one, except some of you, but most of you, all of you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I loved it. I loved it. But if you want to reach out to us, our email is saveyoursorry at gmail.com. And you can give us your media, your suggestions. You can tell us your favorite painting. You can tell us about these literature scandals. Did you know about Nicholas Sparks possibly being racist and homophobic? Yeah. I can't watch The Notebook no more. Which is okay, because I was watching it a few months ago. I watch fucking Mean Girls if I want to see Rachel McAdams. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. Please leave us a rating. Please leave us a review. It's been wonderful. Bye. Bye. I'm going to try a cold red. A cold red and a marble red. And then a marble. <laughs> marble. Okay. Ready? Okay. <laughs>